0: Hi, I'm Ebony Monet.
1: And I'm Rick Schwartz. Welcome to Amazing Wildlife, where we explore unique stories of wildlife from around the world and uncover fascinating animal facts. This podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, an international nonprofit conservation organization which oversees the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park.
0: The next species we're spotlighting is known by several names. He's called the Spectacle Bear. For the rings of light fur around his eyes, the mountain bear—a nod to its mountain habitats. This bear lives in South America, in and around the Andes mountain range. Hence the name, Andean bear. We will also be speaking with Dr. Russell Van Horn, a San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance scientist who leads the Andean bear conservation program in conjunction with our partners, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, Field Projects International. Manu National Park, Peru Verde, Manu Endemic Station, and Amazon Conservation Association. Rick, how is it that this bear
1: has so many names? Well Ebony, it's not uncommon for a species that can live in a wide variety of different countries, and therefore cultures, to receive different common names from these different areas. And this holds true for other species as well. I mean, for example, right here in the U.S., we have the mountain lion, the cougar, the puma, and the mountain screamer, and they're all the same species of cat. But it has received many common names due to the many different regions it inhabits. Now, in the case of the Andean bear or spectacled bear, it not only has to do with the different languages from different cultures, but also how it looks. The common name spectacle bear is in reference to the lighter color of hair that circles around the eyes, almost making it look like the bear is wearing glasses. And then of course, another term for glasses is spectacles. And because of the spectacle markings, this offers scientists the unique ability to identify each bear by its, if you will, mugshot or photo. So those markings, that they're basically that sort of signature for that individual. The markings also give the bear its scientific name, Tremarctos ornatus, or decorated bear. Now,
0: when it comes to the Andean bear, I have a number of questions. With every species we explore, I approach the conversation with my natural curiosity, and I also try to imagine what people listening may want to ask, including my very curious seven-year-old son. Rick, what are some of the topics we'll cover in our Andy and Bear conversation?
1: Oh, goodness, Ebony, there are so many things we can talk about, uh, from their natural history to conservation. For instance, did you know Andy and bears can be rather vocal, I mean, at least for a bear? And we aren't talking about the classic growl or roar that movies and television use for bear noises. Andy and bears communicate through squeaks, Mm -hmm. shrills, Mm and even gentle, purr-like sounds. Oh, and Ebony, you know bears can climb trees, right? Yes,
0: I think you're correct.
1: (laughs) Well, Andean bears don't just climb trees. They love to climb trees, and they do it so well, they can also forage for food up in the foliage. And get this, they will even make nest-like structures or platforms in trees to take a nap. All of this activity in the trees has earned them the title of being a true arboreal or tree-dwelling bear. Now, This doesn't mean that they spend all of their time in the trees, but they are well suited for spending a lot of time in the trees. Oh, and another interesting fact, these bears like to keep to themselves and tend to avoid humans. That makes them hard to find and challenging for scientists to study them. Now, I wouldn't go so far as to say we barely know anything about them, but it is fair to say we have more to learn.
0: So the Andean bear is, is known as the, the last of the short-faced bears. What exactly is a short-faced bear?
1: I'm really glad you asked, Ebony, because I'm certain many people have never heard the term short-faced bear. And to understand this term, we need to look back at the taxonomy of bears, and taxonomy being the scientific study of classifying living organisms. In the case of the Andean bear, they're in the subfamily Tremarctinae. Tremarctinae is a subfamily of the Ursidae, or the bear family. Now, in this subfamily, Andean bears are the only species alive today, but... At one time, this subfamily had several species, including the Florida Andean bear, North American short-faced bear, South American giant short-faced bear, and several others. But to get to the other part of your question, what is a short-faced bear? Well, again, it's based on the taxonomy. And often taxonomy classification is done by looking at bone structure and size, along with tooth layout. In the case of bears, And short-faced bears, things like the structure of the jaw, skull size, shape, and composition are all different enough to place the short-faced bears in their own subfamily. Additionally, you can look at the muzzle of an Andean bear and see that it is shorter than other bear species. So there's a slight visual variance as well.
0: So whatever happened to the the other species of short-faced bears?
1: Now The other short-faced bear species all went extinct around the end of the Pleistocene Epoch, about 11,000 to 12,000 years ago. And This is a time when many large mammals, such as mammoths, ground sloths, which I mean those guys were huge, and much larger short-faced bears went extinct. And there are several different theories as to why these larger mammals went extinct, but we don't really know for sure.
0: Do scientists have any any theories about um, the Andean bear and and why it survived and became the the last of the short-faced bears?
1: Well, Ebony, with the mass extinction of many large species that came at the end of the Pleistocene Epoch, there were many smaller species that did survive. And one of those theories as to why smaller species thrived while massive species did not is that the changing climate of the Earth at the time made it more difficult for these larger species to survive in general.
0: So, the Andean bear is the only bear native to South America. Where exactly are they found?
1: Yes, that that is correct, Tiffany. The Andean bear species is the only living bear species native to South America, and their name comes from the fact that they often live in the cloud forests of the Andes Mountains and outlying mountain ranges. They can be found from Venezuela south through Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, and into Bolivia. And like we discussed, they are arboreal, or well-adapted for life in the trees, so they are found in the forests. But also, they can sometimes wander into the shrublands and grasslands near the forest.
0: Rick, I had a chance to visit the Andean bear habitat at the San Diego Zoo, and a couple of things really stood out to me, like the nest. What's the connection with the nests that you see in the habitat?
1: Oh, I love this question, Ebony, because very rarely when we think about bears do we think about a nest or a platform in the trees. Most of us think of bears as living in dens or hollowed out trees or caves, right? But, but our friend, the Andean bear, likes to do things a bit different. They love to eat plants uh, that grow in the trees. Some fruits that they can even be found up there as well are part of their menu. So they will actually build a platform using sticks to allow them to reach the foods they like most. And they will even sometimes catch a nap in that platform or nest that they have built. So honestly, it's pretty ingenious. And at the San Diego Zoo, we provide them with the climbing structures, trees, branches, and other things that they can create platforms and nests for themselves.
0: And one of the other things I noticed, um, even the bears' food was, was elevated. What's the purpose of making the food somewhat more challenging to access?
1: I wouldn't really say challenging, because if you think about it, in their native habitats, Andean bears will eat fruits that grow in trees. Oh, and bromeliads, too, a type of plant species that will live on a host tree. So to get these foods, of course, the bear naturally has to climb. And as we discussed, they climb quite well. In fact, Andean bears have been known to sit in a tree for days, waiting for fruit to ripen. And to be fair, they will also eat other fruits that grow on smaller plants, grasses, and even some small animals like rodents, rabbits, and birds. At the San Diego Zoo, where the bears are under human care, we could just place the food on the ground and put it in the habitat and call it a day. But we recognize the Andean bears are smart. They enjoy problem solving. They've evolved to climb and use their senses to find their food. So we recreate these experiences for them in their habitats.
0: Yes, Rick, I did notice the, the ease at which the, the Andean bear climbed the, the branches while I was visiting the San Diego Zoo. So how does the Andean bear's climbing skills compare to other species of bears?
1: Well, I think it's fair to say, Ebony, that the Andean bear is an absolute pro compared to other bears when it comes to climbing trees. It's not uncommon for us to see videos of black bears here in North America climbing trees, or even young brown bears climbing trees. But for as much as we have seen pictures or videos of that happening, that's not where they normally spend most of their time. In fact, one might even consider it rare. But the Andean bear spends a lot of time in the trees, and that's what they're well-suited for
0: another thing stood out when i visited the andean bear um which is its size i got to a good view and it seemed to me pretty small how does the bear's size compare to other bears
1: yeah i think that's a fair assessment ebony i mean when it comes to bears andean bears are on the smaller side compared to say grizzly bears and polar bears you know a male andean bear can be about five and a half to six and a half feet in length from nose to rump where you compare that to a grizzly bear, they can go as far as nine feet from nose to rump. And an Andean bear can weigh around, you know, 220 pounds, up to 385 pounds. You know, females are even smaller at 130 to about 176 pounds. But again, we compare that to the grizzly male. Well, they can weigh up to 700 to 1,000 pounds. So yeah, Andean bears are a bit smaller.
0: So Rick, what's the Andean bear's threat or, or threats in nature?
1: Well, it's a great question, Ebony. The International Union of Conservation of Nature, or IUCN, lists them as vulnerable, meaning they aren't endangered yet, but they are vulnerable to extinction. Now, one of the biggest challenges they face is habitat loss and habitat fragmentation. And a big challenge of habitat fragmentation is it prevents the bears from finding each other for breeding purposes. This, of course, impacts the ability then to add to the population. Other challenges they face include illegal hunting, also known as poaching, habitat loss due to mining, lumber operations, and farming. It is worth noting though, on the other side of all of these challenges, there are a lot of people doing some work right now to better understand the needs of the Andean bear and how we can reverse the current trend of the population decline.
0: Coming up, we'll be talking to the head of our Andean bear conservation program, San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance scientist, Dr. Russ Van Horn. But first this. All right, now it's time for the San Diego Zoo Safari Park Minute, an opportunity for you to learn what's new at the zoo. Welcome the newest member of the Condor Club. The three juveniles are all critical to the recovery of the species and will contribute to our conservation
1: efforts when they reach adulthood. These three chicks were given names by members of the Kumeyaay Bands of San Diego. The Kumeyaay Bands include San Pascual. Campo Kumeyai, and Santa Isabel of Kumeai. These three birds were named Metamaiwam, meaning high wind rider, Pomanquaker, meaning far off flyer, and Iapomon meaning flies through. They are representatives of their species, which are seen as symbols of power by indigenous North American people. Today,
0: we're learning more about Andean bears. Joining this conversation is someone very knowledgeable about the subject, Dr. Russ Van Horn, a San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance scientist in population sustainability. He leads our Andean bear conservation program. Hi, Russ.
2: Yeah, hello, Ebony. Thanks for asking me on.
0: Sure thing. So you've studied a lot of different animals in your career, including elk, bison, hyenas. Um, How did you end up studying Andean bears in Peru?
2: It was definitely not part of a long-term career plan. Just followed opportunities when they arose. Curiosity about wildlife, uh, trying to figure out how things work, and then an interest in conservation. That led me through different projects and programs to the opportunity that arose for me to pursue my curiosity in a way that I thought I could actually help with conservation of Indian bears and other forest mammals. So I Left at the chance to join the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance.
0: And what can you tell us about the Andean Bear Conservation Program?
2: Yes, it's one of the conservation programs in the Alliance's uh, Amazonia hub. It's a long-term program and it's very collaborative. We work with people inside and outside of the Alliance, work with governmental agencies and other researchers and academics and community members. The overall goal is to support bear welfare and husbandry and zoos, of course, but the primary goal is to help provide the information and the tools for long-term sustainable conservation action and planning uh, in the Andean bears range. And really we're trying to keep the options open for people as they work for sustainable coexistence between people and bears.
0: That's fascinating. So the program is based in Peru why Peru?
2: <laughs> yeah, we, we collaborate with people across the bear's range, but we really do focus in Peru uh, for our field work because it's thought that's where most of the bear habitat is left, and the most intact patches of habitat are left. The bear in Peru and throughout its range lives in very diverse habitats and ecosystems, but Peru, we think, has most of it left. And governmental agencies and different non-governmental organizations were interested in bear conservation, so it looked as though, okay, if we go after this, maybe we can make a difference in the conservation for this bear. So the need existed in and we thought maybe we could help fill that need. And another non-biological reason for being interested in working in Peru is that many of the cultures um, in the areas where the bear lives place a lot of importance on the bear. So by working to conserve the bear in Peru, we would hopefully be also helping people to to conserve an element of, of their culture.
0: Russ, what else can you tell us about the Andean bear's natural habitat?
2: It's very diverse. They seem to be strongly linked to forests. Uh, They will go out into alpine grasslands or shrublands, but they really seem to be tied to forests. But the forests vary a great deal from really dry, fairly open forests to very wet cloud forests. And it's really kind of impressive when you think about it because this bear's range uh, naturally goes North and south, about 30 degrees in latitude. And that's more than the contiguous United States. And that's that's almost as, as far north-south as the distance from San Diego, where I am now, to the equator. So there's a lot of variation north-south. And they, that means there's a lot of variation in the amount of light change throughout the year. And there's also a big spread in elevation. Uh, we think these bears live at elevations that range more than 3,000 meters in elevation or more than like 10,000 feet so they're they live in a lot of really diverse areas but they seem to be pretty much linked to forest
0: and are any of the the diverse areas which they're in which they're found are any of these in close contact to people?
2: that's one of the challenges and kind of the opportunities for anti conservation is that right now we think that the the most important habitats for these bears tend to be the cloud forests, but there's no real way to test whether that is the has always been so because people have been living in these South American Andean countries for centuries. I mean, the Inca and other civilizations really changed a lot of the habitats before Europeans ever arrived, and so we don't know whether these cloud forests are the most important areas or whether that's where their bears can currently live because there are fewer people there. Because it does seem as though when Andean bears live in close proximity with people, they tend to get into trouble. They do things like uh, go in and eat in cornfields. And of course, if you're, a, if you're a rural farmer and you're depending or you're counting on that cornfield to feed you chickens or, or to raise money, you might be kind of annoyed if a bear comes in and destroys part of it. And so the bear's can live close to people, but when they do, it kind of creates this friction with people. And so that's one of the challenges, is to figure out how can people and bears coexist together.
0: At one point, Andy and bears were thought to be nocturnal, but I understand that more recent research suggests the possibility that, that they may not be. Can, can you tell us about these, these developments?
2: It's pretty interesting because it sort of reflects how technology can change what we think we know about about a species. Because I think a lot of people um, sort of concluded that the bears were nocturnal because you don't see them much. You see evidence that there are bears out there. Maybe occasionally you would see a bear, but you don't actually see the bear itself. So you might think, well, I'm not seeing them during the daytime, which is when I'm out in the forest. So they must be active at night. I think that's probably how people concluded that the bears were nocturnal, but once we had this new technology, these trail cameras, these camera traps, and you could put those out there in the forest where there's no human around, then we started seeing that, well, the bears are mostly active during the day. It must just be that they're really good at knowing when there's a human around and they avoid being seen. That makes them kind of a challenge to study, but the trail cameras have really, really been a valuable tool for science.
0: You mentioned the um, the local people in the South American countries um, where these bears are found. How are how are they um, locals assisting with with some of your research?
2: We integrate with people from mostly from Peru in different ways. Long term, the hope that the information that we're collecting will help feed into governmental agencies at different levels, and we collaborate with. Variety of private NGOs who manage conservation concessions. Uh, some of those are are where some of our sampling areas are, and those are outside of Manu National Park uh, right now. And we're also uh, conducting research inside Manu National Park. And in some Andean countries, there's really strong uh, management and conservation of natural resources by local communities. Um, that difference that differs across countries and even uh, within different countries, but Really, I'm the only North American in this program. All of our field staff are from the area where we work, and there are a lot of reasons for doing that. Part of it is that while they're bare, they should really be involved. We're providing opportunities for them and also training and mentorship. Long term, it would be great if there was capacity in the South American countries to to do all of this work uh, on their own and we hope we get there someday.
0: What is the role of our our partners in this program?
2: There is so much that we don't know. There's so much to learn, so much work to do that no no one organization, no one individual could ever do it on their own. And where the bear lives is so diverse and so many different ecological contexts and so many different conservation contexts that really if we want to be effective we have to work with partners to gather information and so part of it is sharing data part of it is uh sharing samples and also to help develop really effective conservation plans because we don't have the right or the responsibility to be telling people this is what we think you should do to conserve your bear oh we should be my opinion is um that our role should be to help them uh, develop that for themselves. And how does
0: the, the data collected by zoos contribute to conservation efforts?
2: Initially, uh, some of the work was just with demographic records that, that zoos, different zoos have kept over their histories because zoos keep track of which individuals live where, when they mate, when they give birth, um, how long they live, and when they die. And that's really valuable information because it can tell us something about what is the average lifespan in a zoo of an Andean bear, and that can provide a reference for what we might expect in the field. The patterns of births in Andean bears throughout the where they've been kept in various zoos suggest that there's pretty strong seasonality so that if you're closer to the equator, Bears could give birth over most of the year, but as you go farther south towards the, the lower edge of the range, perhaps down in Bolivia, they're probably only giving birth in a narrower point of time. And that's something that it would be very hard to learn from just field work. Also, when anyone goes to a zoo and they see an Indian bear, they're getting a better look at that bear than we almost ever will in the field. And we're using information about what the bears look like to develop tools that think we'll be able to use in the field. So I'm collaborating with some people. that run a project called Bear ID. And these are a mix of bear biologists, brown bear biologists, and uh, computer science experts that we're working on machine learning to see if we can automatically identify individuals of different bear species. And we hope that down the road we'll be able to also say the bear in this photo is a male, or the bear in this photo is a female, which is really hard to figure out for any bears in the field. Or that would be able to take a photo from the field and say, this month that bear wears two, weighs 275 pounds. Six months ago it weighed 250 pounds. That would tell us, hey, what was that bear eating? It gained weight. The other thing we're doing is with samples and information from zoos, is I'm collaborating with Dr. Melana Kenswick-Watza, Watsa is developing a genomics tool that, using samples from bears at zoos across North America, and then some samples of bears from a couple of the range countries, to develop this tool that will allow us to conduct Really great genetic analysis using just a couple of hairs from a wild bear. Uh, Right now, that's not possible, but these bears under human care provide reference. They're living natural history museums, and we can really learn a lot from working with them.
0: Well, Russ, it's been great talking with you. I've really enjoyed our conversation.
2: Thank you, Ebony, and thank you for giving me the chance to uh, talk about this really cool bear species.
0: Yeah, I, I learned a lot and I enjoyed it. And, and we hope that you learned a lot about the bear with many names, the Andean bear.
1: And be sure to subscribe and tune in to next week's episode in which we bring you the story of the land iguana with a very unique coloration and genetics that set it apart from all other land iguana species. I'm Ebony Monet. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Thanks for listening.
0: If you would like to find out more about San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, please visit SDZWA.org. Amazing Wildlife is a production of iHeartRadio. Our producer is Nakia Swinton, and our executive producer is Marcy DePina. Our sound engineer and editor is Amita Ganatra. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.